Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 196 of Yoga Land. This episode was a little bit of an experiment. We usually do live episodes when Jason is leading a teacher training module in San Francisco. He recently led a teacher training module that was supposed to be held in San Francisco, but we did it online. We did it remotely. So this episode we did live, quote unquote live, with our students via live stream, via Zoom. So it was fun and we did get to answer some questions in the chat. The focus of the episode was really just on our thoughts on how COVID-19 is impacting our community, specifically just in terms of how studios are going to reopen, how that might affect yoga teachers, and as well as creative ideas. We, we throw out some creative ideas for rethinking the way that we present yoga content. And then Jason also offers some tips for how to handle teaching a live class and a live stream at the same time, because we're sort of imagining that that will be what's happening in the near future. He has done a lot of teaching for GLOW, where he's teaching a classroom full of people, and yet he's also relating to the camera. So we talk about that. And I give my little pitch for why I think it's so important for yoga teachers to focus on their own email newsletter right now. And I actually feel so passionately about this that I'm going to do a workshop, an online workshop soon, all about how to build your newsletter, how often to send it, how to increase your list size, what to include in the newsletter, how to design graphics for your newsletter easily and quickly. So I will talk more about that when I know when I'm going to launch that. If you are not on our mailing list, I would suggest that you hop on our mailing list, which you can get to from our homepage and I'll link to it from the show notes page as well. Last thing, Jason will be offering another remote teacher training module in July. So it's module three and the dates are July 13th through July 25th. To get more info and to register, you can go to lovestoryyoga.com and click on their teacher training link and you will, you will find it. Look for it and you shall find it. Okay. Enjoy this episode. Hey, Jason. Hi, Andrea. So good to be here. Good to be here. And everyone understands we have, this is our second time starting over. We've got our live students right now, our module two remote students. They understand that these kind of things happen. We're doing our first podcast this way. It's super exciting. Welcome to Yoga Land. Yes. Live, remote, live. Yes. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about, we are going to talk about the fact that the world is kind of slowly inching forward and yoga studios are going to start opening again. Some of them are. Some of them are. Yes. And so we were sort of going to talk about considerations, ideas. Complications. Complications. Yeah. 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 So what's happening with a lot of studios right now? Um, unfortunately, a lot of studios are having a struggle. A lot of studios are are not completely making. There's a lot of places that have shut their doors. But for the most part, the studios that have been able to weather the storm of the last couple of months have done so in large part because they have quickly and skillfully converted to live stream. And they are often operating in a certain amount of losses, but doing their best to absorb some of those losses. So now we're in this very complicated situation of starting to do some reopening, but it's pretty clear that upon reopening, probably for, I don't want to forecast the future, but for the foreseeable future, the reopening is going to be with some amount of social distance. Right. And the reality is everyone knows that yoga studios are not built in such a way to accommodate social distancing, right? Especially in cities or other locations where rent is high. And so the business of most yoga studios, the in-studio business, requires there to be, at least for some classes, a lot of people in a relatively small space. Right. Right? So it's not like every class at every studio has to be packed, but 
some classes at every studio have to be close to physical capacity. And our physical capacity is, at least for the foreseeable future, going to be radically diminished. Mm -hmm. So we all know this, but going back into the reopening phase is way more complicated than the closing phase. Right. Right. And we're not going to go from, we were open, we were closed, now we're back open. We're opening back under very specific conditions, and those conditions aren't really conducive to financial health for the studios. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. And then we're not even talking about kind of the health considerations yet. I'm just kind of thinking about it from-, from How are they going to actually make enough money to survive with six feet or however many meters it is in the UK? I don't know how many meters it is, but- Two and a half. Six feet between mats. How are, how are they going to survive? Yeah. Yeah. And so I think what's going to have to happen for the majority of studios is there's going to be some combination. Yes. There's going to be some combination of in-person and live stream. Because if we can't take in enough studios to generate the in-room revenue to keep the lights on and pay the teachers, then we need those streams coming in from elsewhere. There's going to be some ongoing adaptation of the live stream world. Mm -hmm. Which means, I've been telling my group this, right? So we're here, it's a a big group with us on Zoom, we're in module two training for me, which is teaching online is one thing, teaching live is another thing, but now it's going to be both. Yeah, at the same time. But you guys are so excited. So it's kind of the complications and the, the nuances of teaching live, but then the also the nuances of teaching to a camera and to a distant group of people that you don't ne- you don't necessarily see. Mm-hmm. So I think what we want to do is we want to think through the financial implications of this. And then we also want to think through a little bit more the actual technique of teaching and relating to students that are both in the room and not in the room. Mm-hmm. I want to talk through kind of the financial things of first of where I think this is really complicated. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, which is, I think what we're going to see, like I said, is studios are probably going to need to live stream stuff. Yes. They're probably going to need to, but there becomes a very big difference when you are teaching. If that live stream is being recorded and sold to people later on down the road as a form of package media. Oh. Right? Compared to if it's just purchased as a live stream and live stream only. Right. Okay. And actually in most media contracts, this is actually a point of distinction because when you are teaching a live yoga class, whether it is online or in person, when you're teaching live, If something is not recorded, if it is just broadcast, there's no creation of content, right? There's no creation of new media, Uh right? It's just, I am in this room and I am paying for this class, or I'm at my home and I am paying for this class in real time. And that single class is a one-off thing that I am being paid for, okay, as a student, excuse me, as the teacher. I don't actually think that's very difficult. I don't think that's very complicated, okay? The student or the studio gets paid by people in the room. They get paid by people that are coming via online, live stream. Yeah. And then the teacher is compensated accordingly, Mm -hmm. right? Where this is a whole nother level of complexity is when the studio records that content, that one class that you just did, records it and then owns it Mm -hmm. and then sells it as bundled or packaged content to others. Do you think people are going to try to do that? Everyone's trying to do that already. So you're saying kind of similar to the Yoga Glow model where there's a live class, but people sign up form in the beginning that's like, I don't mind if my likeness is used in the future. And the people who do mind, by the way, if you haven't been to Yoga Glow, if you go to a Yoga Glow class live and you don't want to be on camera, but you just, there's like a taped area that you can, you can put your mat outside of. Um, So you think that the studios are going to try to then sell the live stream classes later? They already are. Huh. I've seen that. 
So the other thing I don't know is, if I think that's a good idea. It's a very complicated idea yeah. because now you're creating content. Right. Right? So if you record me Friday at noon, there's six people in the room and there's 10 people online, 16 people paying for that one class. Mm -hmm. So there's 16 people coming to class. Some mm -hmm. are live, some are online. That's pr actually pretty simple. That's a pretty simple business model. But where it gets complicated is when that class Friday at noon is recorded right. and people can watch it later. Right. And they can either watch it later, right? Or they can purchase it later because studios are starting to record the content and get a backlog, right? right? Get an inventory of content because now you aren't just teaching a class, you are creating content. Mm -hmm. And that content is then continues to live on mm -hmm. and those rights can continue to be exploited. Right. I don't, I don't mean, I mean, exploited in a legal term. So do you think that studios are trying to do this to create like a backlog of membership content? Yeah. I think okay. studios are trying to do this because studios are trying to stay alive. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so studios are trying to stay alive and studios are trying to make it as convenient as possible to make a sale. Right. right. Like everyone, all studios, all teachers, we need to make a sale right now. Yeah. Right. And so studios trying to make things very convenient by recording content and then making that content available at a later time mm -hmm. and a later date, mm -hmm. that is be actually mostly becoming the norm. Yeah. But this now becomes profoundly complicated. Right. So again, when Love Story, for example, that's where I'm teaching in San Francisco. That's the only places I'm live streaming. When, when Love Story sells my class on Tuesday and Thursday, that class is recorded because it's via Zoom and right. it's just automatically recorded. Mm -hmm. But immediately that content is deleted. Right. They don't send out a replay no. link. They don't. they don't send out a replay link. You've come to that class live. Mm -hmm. That is a live stream. When you are recording that live stream and then making it available, it is no longer a live stream. Mm -hmm. It is recorded content. And selling recorded content is an entirely different model. Let's just yeah. break this down here because we've yeah. got kind of established the idea. Okay, a few things. We have studio owners who are here. We have yoga teachers, we have yoga teachers who are studio owners. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like this kind of situation doesn't benefit the yoga teachers, really. When it's recorded. Yes, no. and, and resold. No. And so I would also assume that the yoga studios are going to have to negotiate with their teachers in a contract because this is a different situation from just signing a contract to do a job where you teach a class in person, or when you teach a live student class and, the, and it, the content is then deleted. Yes. So what can or what would you recommend yoga teachers do if their studio comes to them and says, or if their studio doesn't come to them and just starts doing it? Yes. That's more of what's happening. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because most studios are not media companies. Mm -hmm. And what happens live and what happens in a recorded media setting are totally different things. So that's where we, where we are making this good delineation, whereas when, as things are reopening, if it is simple as, hey, we are Studio B, and no, I, there probably actually is a Studio B. We are, we are <laughs> Studio Andrea and Jason, and we can get six people in our room socially distanced, and we want those six people to be here, and we love it. But if there's only six people paying for class... We're going to go out of business. Mm -hmm. So Andrea and Jason Yoga Studio, we have to also sell this as a live stream. Mm -hmm. If we do not record that live stream, if we do not make it available later, if we do not bundle that content, it's really simple. Because then what we're doing is we're just doing the exact same business model right. as a studio, but you can be in the room or not in the room. Yes. But the moment that is recorded and made available later, you are a media company. Mm -hmm. And you have to understand media contracts, rights, liabilities, responsibility, payment structure. And you also have to understand how that stuff is going to live in perpetuity, right? So you can't just 
think to yourself, okay, we're going to record this and then we're going to get a big backlog and we're not going to pay out the teachers and we're not going to pay out an entertainment lawyer. I think the biggest piece of advice for yoga teachers, and this is putting everyone in a bind, you guys, this is not easy, right? And I'm pro studio and I'm pro teacher and I'm also pro yoga media company. We just actually have to sort through these things and Mm -hmm. make sure that we have the right conversations with the right people. So I think my basic, my first bit of advice is as the yoga teacher, you have to become very clear with the studio. Wait a second. Is this a live stream? Because a live stream and a recorded live stream that is sold later is different. Mm -hmm. So if it is just a straightforward live stream, simple. If it's not, and the studio owner says, no, we're going to make it available for people. And and then, you know, we might have a paywall down the road where people can pay for your Friday class next Saturday. Then you need to figure out some compensation mechanism. Mm -hmm. The studio cannot ethically pay you one time and then sell the same thing multiple times. Okay. That is not an ethical setup. Right. And yoga teachers have to, we have to kind of know that that's not how the media businesses that do this do this. Mm-hmm. So there's got to be some sort of mechanism for pay per download or some sort of much higher rate than you are being paid normally for just that live stream to sign away the rights for the studios to bundle that in perpetuity. Yeah. And also like, I think studios that are going to try to bundle this and sell it down the road are going to realize how complicated that that is. Mm -hmm. Because the other thing that's complicated is if I record content, if you record my class today and then sell it today and tomorrow, and then you sell it the next day, This is recorded content that there needs to be some compensation distribution on. But if you try to sell this same thing today that I recorded today, six months from now, it has diminished return, Mm -hmm. especially if you're recording everything. So this is the other thing that yoga studios that all of a sudden are going to try to become media businesses. Well, how are you going to sort the content? How are you not going to have like a big buried stack of content that no one knows how to actually access, right? Mm -hmm. This is where you have so many programmers at all of the, all of the media companies trying to figure out how do we take this backlog of content and organize it in a way that it maintains its value and interest. Yeah. Right. So again, bottom line is if we're just live streaming and we're selling that live smooth, I think that's what studios should really focus on. I really do. Once we start to say, no, you're going to record this thing today, and then it's actually not a live stream. It's packaged media. Mm -hmm. That is a much harder, longer conversation. Mm -hmm. And I believe yoga teachers and yoga studios need to really think through the rights and the ownerships and the intellectual property of it, Mm -hmm. right? It's complicated. You and I know this, yeah. right? I've had- yeah, I mean, usually when you sign a media contract, you you sign away all rights for Everything. all times. So if that's what's expected of you, I think just the bottom line is you need to figure out a compensation model that's going to work for you. And that's, that's really challenging. I want to just segue into a slightly different thought for a moment. And that is, well, so Sally brings up the laws may be country specific too. I mean, this is why you buy all rights for all times because then it doesn't matter where it's streaming. It doesn't matter what country it's streaming in. You have all rights for all times. I think that, you know, one of the other industries, obviously, that's taken such a huge hit is the restaurant industry. Big time. And we see this, like, this is foodie land, USA here in San Francisco. So everyone's been worried about all their local restaurants, just like I'm sure they're worried about you, their local yoga teachers, genuinely. So I guess what I have seen is that some people have just been incredibly creative in what they've done. And I think that the yoga land is going to have to be as well. Big time. So, you know, for example, in the restaurant industry, our local taco place, they're just like a small mom and pop operation. They have taken to social media like I have never seen. And they have like 
a weekly special now, and they had a Cinco de Mayo special, and it was packed. We did the Cinco de Mayo special, and the place, you know, the line outside was packed. Can we get burritos today? It's quesadilla today. It's like their other special. I'm so excited. So really thinking about your online presence right now for studio owners and for teachers is sort of more important than ever. Even if you are seeking to simply reach out to your local people, it's still, it's how we're all communicating. We're all on our phones. It's kind of how we get motivated. It's how we get excited. And so that is more important than ever. You know, another local restaurant, they took all of their sort of all of what they had in their stock, and they turned it into a general store. And so when everyone was out of flour, they had flour. And they're doing the same thing. They're repackaging meal kits, and they're making it easy for people who need, who are tired of cooking all the day, all, t- all the time. So these kinds of things, to me, are what studios and teachers should be thinking of. So yeah, you can live stream your classes, and you can become a media company, and you can try to figure this out with your teachers, which I think would be very complicated on many levels. But you could also just think about in what ways is online learning more advantageous than in-person learning? And in what ways can we create some lower ticket items that people could purchase online? But if we increase our online presence, we get more people. So we do okay. You know, we make a profit. To me, like that's where the focus needs to be is if we're going to move forward with this hybrid type of business, how can we make it an exciting, fun, inspiring thing for people? You set up for kind of the next permutation that I wanted to talk about, which is we are in the situation where I set it up as, okay, when studios open, you're not going to get enough people in the room to pay rent. That's just going to be the case probably for a minimum of six months in most places, my guess would be more. So we're going to need to live stream. That's a fact of life. But once you start to live stream, if it stays live, that's simple. If it becomes a recorded piece of content, that ain't simple, especially if there's any word anywhere around it that says exclusive, that becomes a really big problem really quickly for everyone. But we can also do a combination, which is exactly what Andrea is saying, which is studios can figure out like, okay, we're going to have these classes on the schedule and these classes are live and live streamed. We're going to have six people in the room and as many people taking it live, that's not going to be recorded. But we're also going to have workshops. We're also going to have a special workshop series. And that is going to be live and live streamed. But then that's also going to be bundled and sold later as a piece of content. Yoga for runners, yoga for quarantine, yoga for shoulders, neck, upper and back, right? So we create these smaller packages and both the teacher and the studio continue to sell that together and continue to participate in that profit long down the road. Right. So let's say you maintain that same basic split of a 70 30 split or a 60 40 split. Or you know what? Maybe we're all taking one a little bit more for the team. Maybe it's more of a 50 50 split between teacher and studio. And we decide, okay, so the next four Saturdays, we're going to do an intro to yoga series. Six people are going to be in the room. 10 people are going to be watching these live streamed, but we're going to record all of those things. We're going to split all the revenue that comes in. And then those are going to be the things that continue to live on. So that is a purchasable piece of downloadable or streamable content that lives on the site. And then for that thing costs a hundred dollars. I'm just making up a number that thing costs a hundred dollars. And then every time it's bought, both live, but then over time, $50 goes to the studio, $50 goes to the teacher that created it. Then you have a manageable scale. My big fear is no one understands the scale of this. No one understands the scale of complexity that comes with recording everything and then not having very clear contracts of who gets to own what and who gets paid for what and how does this get delivered. And where does it live? Is this free to people? Does this cost money for people? Who? 
that's where something like this, that's really a workshop or a series that's structured, that's curated, that has clear terms, I think becomes much more of this, what you're talking about, this creative thing. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say one more creative thing, which is the opportunity for online privates. Right. I was saying that too. Pretty quickly, we could start to say, hey, studio, you have a newsletter, right? And if the studio says, no, find a different Yeah, get a newsletter. Everybody get (laughs) Get your own newsletter. Studios have an active newsletter. You talk about that in a moment. Okay. Okay. But first we can start to say, hey, I'm making this up. Hey, love story. I think we have an opportunity here. I think that, you know, a lot of people are really hurting and a lot of people are, are financially disadvantaged already before COVID, but especially now. And so the reality is some people need much less expensive yoga. And at the same time, some people are maintaining their jobs and they have an increase in stress. So maybe more people right now want online privates. Yeah. Maybe yeah. more people right now want online small group sessions. Right. So, hey, love story, guess what? I want to do more of these one-on-ones or I want to do more of these semi-privates. Can we do an email blast to your, to our studio base about these opportunities. And by me providing this to the students, but you providing like the email blast that let, let me give you, I'm going to make up a number. I will, I'm going to give the studio 30% or I'm going to give the studio some reasonable percentage of the revenue that comes in on those privates or on those small groups in exchange for you, the studio, doing the marketing. Yeah. Right? Because then we're creating a new business. Yes. Yes. And and we're doing these creative things. We're not just thinking, oh, I used to teach public classes. Now I'm doing them all online. And now somehow magically I'm going to do public classes and everyone knows how to be a media company. Right, right, right. I'm seeing some things in the chat where people are saying, you know, my studio is really small. I want to support my local my studio owner. I want to support my community. We're not saying that this is, you're not supposed to support your local community. Totally. The idea is simply that you want to, you at least want to have a conversation with a studio owner about what their plans are. And if, and it's okay if they don't know, if you're okay with that. I think you're just trying to point out that you don't want to get yourself into a situation in perpetuity that either undermines your own ability to create your own content or that you're just not being compensated fairly. Like, I just want to empower you guys that you are professionals. You have trained for this. This is a job. And so you want to make sure you're being, you're thinking through all of the options. I want to just say, when you brought up the small group privates, I I have been thinking, you know, this is where Pilates studios are, are so far ahead of yoga studios in that they always have offered privates as the standard. And now they've kind of, at least our local Pilates studio has branched out into having group classes, but they have privates, they have duets, they have quads, they have, you know, they have special series workshops where they'll have up to six people. And I wonder if that would work in the yoga space, if, if we could charge a little bit more in, I mean, in, in a live studio setting, right? Because you can't have a lot, what we were talking about in the beginning, you can't have a lot of people in the room. So in a live studio setting, I wonder if during this time where people are worried about their health and where people do want their local studio to survive, if, I mean, it's so I don't hard think because so. people are I'm losing their jobs. Question. I don't think so. Because I don't think it's just an economics question. It's that when people are doing small group privates or duets or or those things, that's like an option. Like people are opting into that. But we're going to have small groups and studios anyways, and that's not necessarily an option. That's a mandate. So I don't think that we that it would be appropriate or possible to pay more, but to do it online, that is totally an option. Yeah. I want to go back to the 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 thing too about studios like studios help teachers survive teachers help studios survive it has to be a relationship the other thing that can be done if the studio is in a really tight spot and the teacher is not in a tight spot okay would be to do some sort of thing where the teacher teaches the live stream 
that live stream is recorded, that live stream is then sold or packaged or whatever, and the teacher doesn't continue to earn revenue on it, if you choose that, but then maybe an end date. Right. Right? Yes. So maybe an end date where it's like, okay, I know that I I am not as deep underwater as this studio is, so I'm going to give even more to support this studio. But two and a half years from now, if this student, you guys, I, this is in no way a complaint. You know, those yoga journal podcasts that I created in 2002, mm-hmm. okay, 18 years ago, they still make money on that. And they make money on YouTube through advertising, pretty significant money because most of those are close to a million views, Okay. So I have no problem with that, but I had to know 18 years ago when I got paid $50 to do each one of those things, and that was big money, okay? I can tell you each one of those podcasts that they paid me $50 for have made tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars for them. So I don't think that's really what we have here, but the point is, if we are as teachers going to kind of take a little bit more one for the team as the studio... I think that at very least we want to consider having a discussion with the studio of like, hey, when we do get back to some semblance of normalcy or when we do get to some greater, more stable financial situation, I want to revisit these terms. I don't necessarily want this piece of content to live forever Mm -hmm. and for you to continue to get to sell it and I don't get to participate on it. Right, right, right. Another just thought about doing a small group online is that, again, just I just want everyone right now to think to themselves, I have been training for this cognitive flexibility and totally. this, this adaptability for my whole yoga practice. So, you know, if you are offering a series in a small group, you could, if they wanted to, they could pay a little bit of an extra fee to have one extra private with you. It could be a a phone private. It could be a, they submit a video to you. And someone was saying like in the chat, she offers to critique people's practice. It could be giving them a, their own specific personal home practice sequence. There's just so many options, right? With this ability to communicate with people so easily and to be able to give them some kind of video or audio feedback that they can save for themselves. Yeah, we step back as teachers and we think, what do people need now? Right. What do people need now and how can I deliver it? Because now is such a different, it's such a different time that the that kind of the old rules or the old patterns like you said, they, we need to be flexible with yeah. those things. And people are worried about their health right now. So what else does your studio offer or do you offer as a teacher that you could bundle? Like, are, are you a dietitian? Do you, can you offer a nutrition plan? Can you or do you offer, have a friend that is? Right, exactly. Do you have a friend who's a health coach who could give them like three introductory sessions? You know, there's just, there's so many possibilities and... I'm actually excited for people to explore that. And I think that's why we sort of brought up the thinking about filming and having your stuff used forever is because you just don't want to limit yourself to not be able to do what you want to do if you figure something out that you want to do or it's something out that your students want. Yeah. There's one more thing about the business and then let's talk about the health and then the actual technique. I think this is, you know, what we're talking about, and I've been saying this to the students that are that are live, that are in this program right now. Do you know who your students want to keep practicing with? You. Mm-hmm. Your students don't want to practice with me. Your students want to practice with you. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we, we're total like yuppie liberals that live in San Francisco and pretty much fit every stereotype of buying and working and doing things locally, right? Yeah. And supporting small business. We are a small business. I'm third generation small independent business, right? They were Um, not yoga teachers, by the way. They were not yoga teachers. Okay. (laughs) Totally different business. Right. Third generation small independent business, no investments from anyone, no way. But I don't think there's been a time that I can remember where I have been more committed 
to my local places. Right. 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 Absolutely. The climbing gym, I'm still paying a hundred dollars a month too. My Brazilian jiu-jitsu teacher, I'm still paying $170 a month to. The gym that I'm part of, I'm still paying $70 a month to because I can, because I'm compensated from teaching and, yep. and, and the online teaching is filling those gaps. So I feel like that's not just me. That's pretty much everyone that can. Like everyone that can support their local studio and their local teacher is like this is such an outpouring like yesterday when i went up to pinhole it's not because i wanted that coffee it's because i wanted to give them totally okay yep so this is where it's such a good thing that we're going to start to reopen and it's such a good thing where we're going to adapt into the live stream because hopefully these are going to help your studio pay you and your studio where it gets complicated is when that gets recorded and it's not clear what the rights are and how it will be used forever mm -hmm. and the inherent intellectual property that goes with it. Yep. Now health. I'm going to be totally honest. I can't tell anyone what I think that they should do or should not do when it comes time, when everyone here and everyone here gets that call, Hey, we're opening next week. Are you ready to come in for your Thursday class? I'm going to be like, dude, I don't know. So, and I don't, I don't want to overly insert myself of what I think I would do. But the main thing I want to say is, I think you got to really think individually. If within your life and the people you live and the people you come into contact with, if you think that you're ready to go back into that room with regards to health and safety. Mm -hmm. I have said this from everything, from bottom line, any training I do, even when it comes to manual adjustments, your health and your safety comes first. And when in doubt, you have to trust your gut and you have to listen to yourself and you can't look, I think we make sacrifices all the time mm -hmm. and we get kind of lured into things all the time. When it comes to your health and safety, it's your health and your safety. And you as the teacher, you have to deem if you are ready to do this. And I just know that's a gut difficult call, I think, for a lot of people to make. I can't make that call for other people. I will give kind of one thing, which was in early March, right before I had to cancel the London trip and did module to online, I was still teaching my public classes. And I was, I think like so many people, like I was underestimating the global health crisis. It, it, this, this was before San Francisco shut down. This was, we, I think we're the first city in the, in the country yeah, to, yeah. to shut down. Uh, but before we did, I mean, my classes were packed. Yes. Packed. Love stories of 105 people in those classes. And I wasn't, and that was February and early March. I wouldn't think anything of it. I remember specifically teaching a Tuesday class packed and then Wednesday night class packed. And that Wednesday night class, there was one person, they were in the back and they were coughing the whole time. And everybody was And upset. that whole time I'm like, I'm done. I knew I was done. I'm like, dude, I'm done. I'm done. You know, I'm done. It was just too scary. Now. Yeah. So I let that studio know when I was done. I'm like, I don't know what your call is going to be, but I'm getting subs. I'm not coming back. Same thing as I didn't teach that Thursday. I was scheduled to teach a Thursday class. I reached out to Lauren. I'm like, I'm sorry, man. I just all of a sudden the light clicked on. I don't feel comfortable with this. And then it was the following Monday that it was the stay at home order in San Francisco. So I know my feeling on this with regards to health is I feel really conservative about it. Mm -hmm. You know, I also know that I have the privilege yeah. right now to not have to. Right. And that is both a privilege and it's something that is a function of doing this job for a long time. Mm -hmm. So I can't make that decision for other people, man. I'm in no one else's shoes. I'm only in my shoes, but I'm just kind of saying to you, this is a decision 
that it's probably not going to be an easy decision, but but it, it's it's yours to make and only yours and your loved ones to make. Yeah, that's really hard. It's a really hard one. Yeah. And I'm going to go back to the newsletter again because, you know, I mean, this is genuine for me. Like, I know that, you know, I, I in certain yoga teachers groups and I see the questions that come in and there's so many questions right now about the tech of like, does my microphone sound okay? And which microphone do I need? And this issue and that issue with the tech. And I am so much less worried about those issues for you all than I am worried that you are not regularly sending out a newsletter. So it doesn't matter how many people you have on your newsletter. I My wish for you by the end of this training is that you start regularly sending out a newsletter. It doesn't have to be, you know, every week even. It could be every two weeks. But people need to regularly hear from you. And the difference between a newsletter and social media is really huge. And I can tell you that because we have a very sophisticated newsletter system now that I just converted over to this year. And like, I will give you the example of, we did a charity event recently. It was a Friday evening, promoted it a lot on social media. Steph promoted it a lot on her social media. I can see where the because of the system that we have, I can see where the sales come in. 90% of the sales for a charity event came through in response to a newsletter. So a newsletter is where it's, A, so much easier for people to take in information than it is on social media and actually act on the information. And B, it is a direct relationship with your people. They have signed up to receive information from you. So they want to receive information from you. And I know, I hear so often that yoga teachers are afraid of just, you know, spamming people and piling on. Well, can you imagine if the majority of emails you got in your inbox came from yoga teachers instead of like Madewell or your bank? Wouldn't you be happy about that? You would be so much happier. You like the Madewell ones. (laughs) I really don't. And I sign up for these things anyway. So... I think every 10% off that that should tell you something about the relative value of a newsletter versus social media is that every retail on the planet will give you 10% off for giving them their, your email. No social media on the planet will give you a bleeping thing for hitting like on theirs. Yes. So there is a question that came in. Can you share a good template or general flow for a newsletter format that you'd like to use? Tips, tricks? I think this is a whole thing for you to cover at some point soon. Okay. Yes. I definitely, absolutely. And I mean, just like in a nutshell, uh, I mean, I can go into much more detail, but in a nutshell, I think every newsletter should have some added value, right? Should have something where you are either directing them to a blog post or a video blog or a, we often give away sequences. If you don't have that on a particular week, a paragraph or two of your thoughts on your practice is enough. People just want to be inspired to get on their mat. They just want to be able to relate to you. And they just, that, yeah. So there has to be some kind of added value. There has to be a calendar of what is coming up for you. And there has to be a direct call to action, meaning at what action do you want them to take for this newsletter? Do you have something that you want them, a workshop that you want them to register for in six months, a retreat? Do you have a, an at-home retreat? Are you testing something and you want to see how many people would click through on this idea that they might eventually, you might eventually form some kind of course or workshop around. So one specific, and I really do, I would limit it. Jason and I, I've made many mistakes over the years in our newsletter, and I have pared our newsletter down a lot over the years. So I think just a few places that they could click where you are directing them, and then you can see, any newsletter system will let you see where people clicked and what they are most interested in. So that that's kind of it. In a, in a really compressed You're going to do something for us. Okay. Okay. Next topic, final topic, big topic. And who's the best person in the entire world to talk about this topic? This guy. <laughs> Actually, I would say anyone, this is not to plug it, but I would say anyone that has taught at Yoga Glow, especially a few years back. This is what you want to think of um, because... 
Uh, there's a couple other places, a couple other streaming things have done it, but most streaming companies and most people that have taught streaming, there aren't other people in the room. Okay. That the content is filmed in kind of a nice location, individual location with the teacher, with the teacher in a model. And then the, the people online practice to it. That is a great model. That's just as good, if not better than other things. But we're about to all as teachers be in a hybrid model where you are teaching people in the room and also a camera in the room that's broadcasting to people not in the room. So this was the primary setup for Yoga Glow for a really long time. Now it's pretty rare, actually. For the most part, they don't have people in the room anymore, but this was the main way we developed content for a while. So I have some really specific takeaways about what you will likely be doing when there are people in the room and there's a camera in the room. And I'll tell you the first thing you will not be doing is sitting down. You will not be sitting down. You will not be looking at everyone. The camera that is going to be filming you, especially once studios develop a little bit better infrastructure of, of production, it's probably going to be before too long that the live stream is going to be happening. But when there are a bunch of people in the room, you're not going to be sitting right here. So it's this won't convert, right? of like sitting, inhale, exhale, inhale, exhale. You're not going to be able to relate to people here when there are people over here. So what's gonna happen is there's gonna be some sort of camera, but your attention is going to be mostly on the people in the room, which means that if you have a bunch of people in the room and you're teaching a vinyasa class, you're not just gonna sit down. It's super, super, super awkward. No one does that, right? So the other thing you're not going to be doing when there's a camera there is walking around. Why? Because you're going to be out of frame like that, hmm. okay? So you're really only going to have one reasonable option, which is to practice with them. Hmm. When we're doing it on Zoom, we have the two options. Well, we actually have three options. Option one, sit down, teach the class, Focus on the people that you can see. Give some individual cues. That's option one. That option is not going to translate into a real room because it's ridiculously awkward with the live people in the room and you won't do it. The other thing is the camera is going to be further away from you, especially once you start to have a higher level of production. I guarantee it. Number two option is to right now is to live stream and move on the mat, okay? And to teach and do the practice at the same time. Option three is what we do a few times, which is I'm teaching to the people on screen, but I'm also teaching to Andrea who is here, okay? So I'm gonna say only one of those options is a viable option when it's a combination. And for those exact same reasons, it's you're going to be practicing with your students. I guarantee it. Because just sitting there is not going to work because it's going to be really awkward. You've, you've probably, unless, unless you just like broke your ankle and made your way to class, when people are doing a complete yoga practice, you're not sitting there. You're, at, you're moving around the room. But when there's a camera in the room, you can't get off your mat or you'll be out of the frame. Hmm. Okay. So you can either sit on your mat and do nothing while being in frame or pace your yoga mat in order to stay in frame, right? But that's weird. Those aren't going to work. So you're going to be practicing with the group. I guarantee it. 99.9% .9 of the time, that's what's going to have to happen. Yeah. Okay. I'll give one more thing with that, which is I don't think that there's any way to not break the third wall. Mm -hmm. I think you just relate to people. So this is if you have taken classes with me on Yoga Glow, especially the ones with students in the room, I'm mostly giving, how do I phrase it? I'm mostly giving general cues that are appropriate to everyone because I know the people that are here, but I don't know the people that are there. So I will do that, but I will often say, Okay, those of you that are in the room and those of you that are watching online, boom, 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 boom. So there is a way to verbally acknowledge that 
you are teaching to two different planes. You're teaching to the local plane, but you're also teaching to the distant plane. And I think as a teacher, you just want to welcome them. You don't really want to pretend that the camera is not there. Can I tell you a story? Oh, yeah. I don't know if you know the story. I don't know. I don't know if any of you will know who this is. And if you do know who this is, you're either a, a student of American yoga history or <laughs> you are um, even older than us. Oh, gosh. Okay. Okay. So Lilius Folan. Love Lilius Folan. Lilius Folan from PBS, Lilius and You, was in the 70s really one of the the most not only skillful but she brought yoga to the world yeah absolutely i mean she was really one of the first commercial presences in yoga that hit a mass audience right and then it's kind of years down the road the next kind of big commercial mass audience was rodney was rodney e through his vhs Yoga Journal did a, a cruise years ago. This was in like 2002, 2003. And I was on faculty and I was seated at the table. It was just three of us. <laughs> Lilius Folan, Rodney Yee, and myself. And both of those people, it was like a two-hour conversation where I got to listen. I had no camera experience with them. I got to them to listen to them talk about learning how to teach to the red light. Oh, yeah. Learning how to teach to that red light, that Mm -hmm. record button. And what in art it was, what a process it was, what a passion it was. And to never pretend that it wasn't there, but to to learn to relate to it, to actually teach to camera. I'll also say this, which is there are people that audition for the online streaming services all the time. And they're excellent yoga teachers. But a lot of times people get, we freeze up in front of that red light. Yeah. It's different. It's scary. You have to learn how to relate to it. And the best way to learn to relate to it, I was kind of saying this to, to Sophia because we have to do this little recording project. It's like she doesn't like being recorded. So look, you have to learn to either ignore it or you have to befriend it. It's one of those two, but probably in the long run, you have to learn to befriend it. You have to learn to just kind of, relate to its presence and not and to not get in your head or get spooked by it you have to learn to relate to teach to camera and the reality is whether we like it or not for the foreseeable future there's gonna be a camera there yeah and i'm sure all of you have experienced this just from this period of time if this is the first time you've been teaching with a camera everything just gets easier with practice yeah. it really does and i mean we're all Everyone has awkward moments in the beginning of when they do anything. In the I cringe when people tell me that they listened to the pot, they went back and binged on the podcast from the first episode. I'm like, no, those first five episodes are still, I cannot listen to them. You just do it and you just know that like everyone goes through that learning curve and it, it does get better. It does get easier. Last part on this. I love teaching the camera. I hate seeing me having taught to camera. Right? Like, I, I love it. I, I have a good relationship to the camera. I don't have a good relationship to seeing what was recorded by that camera. So for me, one of the hard things about doing these programs online is I have to constantly see the product. When I film for Yoga Glow, I never see it. I never watch it. I never look at it. I never see in the film room what's going on. I never look in the edit room. No way. I want to relate to that camera. I want to relate to the people in the room. That camera to me is is just another person that's transmitting to a lot more people that can be there. So I really appreciate its presence, but it's still emotionally hard for me. My kind of funny body dysmorphia is I always I'm like I'm skinny and I'm fat. I'm both of these things. How did I get skinnier? I got skinnier and fatter at the same time. So. I'm not saying that this is easy for most people. It's a challenge, but it, but we have to learn to really relate to it. And just this understanding of you're probably not going to have when we are a combined situation. I know I've said it. You're probably not going to have a very good option other than practicing with the group. Your other options in this combined situation 
they're, they're not going to read well. They're either not going to read well for the people that are with you, or they're not going to read well for the people that are, are doing the thing. There's going to be a little sacrifice both ways, but it's the way that works. Do we have some questions? I know we probably want to wrap, but I can't read that because I'm... Uh, people are just talking about struggling with the camera and being perfectionist and wanting to do it over and over again. And again, I can relate to this very much with, with the podcast because the intros, you know, one of the reasons I started doing the podcast is because speaking live has always been the hardest thing for me. I mean, there's a reason I love writing. It's like so much time to redo and redo and redo and all these people will give you their feedback before it goes live. But I wanted to kind of be pushed out of my comfort zone. And so when I'm doing an interview, right, I know when that call recorder goes on, like, that's it. I can't really say to the person, oh, can we stop and redo that again? You know, so that I had a lot of nerves for and I just kind of had to push through it. But in terms of wanting to re-record and re-record and re-record, I did that a lot with the intros. And, you know, again, I think we live in an era where media is so second nature to people in terms of taking in video media. And we just live in such a casual time. I mean, kids that are coming up in the next generation, they just watch YouTube videos and they just watch people who are like, hey, how's it going, man? And then they're like drinking their Slurpee and they're doing whatever. And so, you know, just as much as you can, just be yourself, literally. Just be casual. Yeah. Let there be little verbal flubs. Let Speak like you're having a conversation. It doesn't have to be formal. I think it's good to plan to be somewhat concise in terms of you want to have points that you hit or points that you circle back to in case you get lost. But in terms of your verbal delivery, you're going to find your people who relate to the way that you communicate. And that's kind of another really nice thing for about the internet. I think there are just so many groups of people, and I'm actually talking outside of yoga now, but there, there are just so many groups of people who can find each other now because they just get to be themselves and find their people outside of their town. There is a question. Why are introverts drawn to teach in front of people? There's kids Because we're still humans, right? I mean... We, no one is typically one thing and one thing only. We're like incredibly dynamic. And we have, I think, probably many different, many different selves within the self. And for me personally, I enjoy the stimulation of having a controlled environment where I relate to others. It's not the control so much, it's the role. I have a very, when I'm teaching a class, I have a very specifically defined role that is clear to me. Whereas in other big, broad social situations, I feel way more awkward. But because it's kind of that like searching of like, what am I supposed to do? Who am I supposed to talk with? How am I supposed to relate? Can I really use the language that I would actually use? Or It's kind of not necessarily knowing the social, how to relate to that social dynamic. Whereas when you have a specific role, when I'm teaching yoga, when you're teaching yoga, it is who I am. It's I'm not playing the role of Jason, but I am in my social relationship is defined. And I tend to thrive when something is, is like clear and defined. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to ask the question about, you know, do we have any legal resources if, if you are trying to figure out contracts and things like that? I do have one person who I interviewed for the podcast this past week. Her name is Sarah Waldbuser. So if you go to that episode, it's like episode 195, I think. I don't know how much experience she has with this type of particular contract, but she's an attorney for health coaches and wellness coaches and yoga teachers and things like that. So she, if she can't directly answer your question, I bet she could recommend someone. We also have some people that have graduated from these programs that are lawyers. Lawyers. Mm -hmm. So maybe you can remind me and, and we can kind of put out a little. Yeah, that would be great, thing. actually. If someone has a more a deeper yoga yeah. background. And, and I think, you know, when we're, de when we're kind of talking about agreements and contracts and legality, that can seem really off-putting. And sometimes it is and difficult. But it and also it can sound really expensive. I mean, that would be my fear, yeah. right? I would be like, I don't know if I have the, enough money to invest in this. But what I'm saying is, especially if you have an amicable relationship with the teachers or the studio... Really what it is, is it's just kind of sitting down and having a conversation about, hey, what are we doing? 
And this thing that I'm teaching, who owns it? And it's just it's, like clarifying your your job. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's a very difficult conversation for many personality types to have. But ultimately, it doesn't have to be. It's usually not going to be an acrimonious conversation. We just come to agreement. It's a it's a place where multiple parties can kind of figure out, like, hey, how do we make this work together? Yeah. And I think especially in the smaller independent studio business world, is it's mostly people that we we want good for each other, and it's there's mutual benefit in teachers surviving this and studios surviving it. So it's just figuring out, hey, what what's the mutual benefit and how do we figure out a scenario where we're, we're clear on, on what we're doing and, and we're going to try to do this together? Yeah. 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 All right. Well, well that, that was, was long. fruitful. <laughs> Hopefully it was fruitful. I hope so too. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. All right. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, everyone. You're welcome. Thanks so much for listening. As I mentioned, the best way to keep up with everything that's going on with us, which is constantly changing, is to hop on our newsletter list. And I will put a link to that on our show notes page. If you are enjoying Yogaland podcast, I so appreciate hearing your feedback and seeing your five-star ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and also seeing you share it. That gives me good feedback as well if I know that something resonates with you and you share it on social media. So thanks as always. And until next week, enjoy your practice. Mm-hmm.